Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our practice edition where we try to show the process of implementing the a continuous improvement culture and um, kind of the, uh, I don't know, the stumbling blocks along the way and the <laughs> wins and all that. Yeah. Um, hopefully wins. Hopefully some wins. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, discussing the improvements we made f- through the week and sort of the lean uh, concepts behind them. Yeah. Quote, people don't like to think. If one thinks, one must reach conclusions. And conclusions are not always pleasant. <laughs> From <laughs> Helen Keller, apparently. Uh, through Aton's long list of quotes. Thank yes. you, Aton. Um, <coughs> kind of funny. It's also like I often struggle with... <coughs> How do I say this? I, we've talked about it before, but like when starting a new thing, mm-hmm. like that point at which you have to just start doing something is like committing to something that might not be right or pleasant or, <laughs> or any of these things. Right. If you keep it in a planning phase, you'll never find out that it's a terrible idea. Yeah. And so I do find sometimes it's just temptation to just like kind of be like, oh, I'm just going to leave that till later. I don't really want to know what it means for my life yeah or or, or like firing off an email Uh and you're like once i send it yeah so it can like kind of sit in a draft form Mm -hmm. um but i think where this maybe is most applicable well to lean is i think uh, i like it's hard to maintain for me an openness to criticism I think when someone's like, Hey, why are you doing it that way? And being like, well, for all these good reasons that we've (laughs) thought of, because we run our business well. And instead of being like, that's a really interesting question. Uh I don't know. You know, what are, what are your ideas? Or I I think it's hard to, uh, again, because like, we don't want to be wrong or we don't want the conclusion to be like, Oh wow. We've been, I don't know. It's good to feel right. Right. Like hearkening back to your tumbling thing. Yeah. Like not everybody can, can sort of fess up and be like, we've been wasting our time for the last two and a half, three years. Right. Which is 100% (laughs) what's happened. It's not a pleasant conclusion. Yeah. Unless you focus on the pleasantness of not having to do it. (laughs) And the fact that by building a culture that does that, you end up over the long run. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not pleasant. And so I think it's easier sometimes to avoid it. I think a lot of people run into this problem when trying to build a lean culture. Yeah, I think both of us, one thing we can't really speak to very well, unfortunately, is, and people write in to ask us, like, how do you <laughs> transition a company to lean? Because we've both done it. I mean, yes, sure, we did it, but it was like a team of like one or two or three. Also, I don't know if we've done it. I think we're doing. For sure. But I'm saying we didn't, we weren't aware of lean and started a thing and yeah. then became aware of lean and we're like, can we do this? Yeah and went through that process or are going through that process. Yeah. I think like still, if you come into my shop, I'm not sure if you're like, this is a lean shop. Yeah. Mine either. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. Although someone did come by the other day and they were like, you're kind of into lean, huh? And I was like, Oh, say more. (laughs) (laughs) What are you noticing? How did you know? (laughs) Um, yeah. So good quote. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot for this last week because we spent an entire day painting our new shop <laughs> instead yeah. of doing other things. 
spot. So maybe you should lead us off. Sure. Before I jump right into yeah the content for this, uh, <laughs> we had uh, a fun um, gathering last night. Unfortunately, you weren't able to attend. Was uh, not beers with uh, manufacturing nerds um, in Seattle, uh, and playing messing around with robots and whatnot. Um, some very interesting tidbits. One from Adam um, is basically around this idea, which I don't know why this never occurred to me, to compare the, uh, write a sub program on the CNC to compare the tool length that is output that you programmed with in CAM Mm. with the tool table in the machine. And Mm -hmm. if they don't agree, just alarm out, Uh which just seems great. Like if you forget to load a new, you know, to change out that tool, it would probably alarm out interesting that assumes that your tool holder is accurately modeled in cam yes and that is the trouble um in setting that up but if you get that set up uh that that's a cool idea Uh um because there's no probing involved um yeah and so uh he also mentioned the term uh, I think he said elegant failure, <laughs> which I liked. So I was like, oh, is that to avoid failure? He's like, no, it's for elegant failure. <laughs> right? So it's just like, instead of crashing, you stop. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't really, that that would be the like the difference between QA and QC. Like quality assurance would prevent that problem from cropping up yeah. or, or reduce its likelihood. And quality control is sort of checking, did that thing happen? So yeah. this doesn't reduce failures. It just reduces catastrophic failures, uh-huh. <laughs> kind of. Um, anyway, so that was fun. Um, also, some really interesting um, processes around op two machining, which is oh. probably not the uh, purview of this podcast. But anyway, it was a lot of fun uh, talking about robots and automation and all that. So we'll be doing it again, hopefully. Um, robots, robots, robots. Yeah, I need a robot. <laughs> uh, so to jump right in, I mean, the biggest one probably is we eliminated our tumbling, yep. which That's we discussed last episode. Huge. It really is. Um, a lot of minutes were spent, not only minutes like actively spent digging parts out of the tumbler, which we've talked about. Like you had that counter of like, how many did we put in? Did we get that many out? Yeah. Um, like there's many ways of sort of improving that operation, but even better to the whole process is eliminating it, mm-hmm. which is not always an option, but for what us turns out it is. Yeah. Um, so that was great. Uh, definitely, I've been way more conscious about making changes and the sort of potential effects that that could have. So like it felt like a much more, I feel like early earlier in my uh in our lean journey it was like oh a new idea great full send like let's implement it and then you're like oh wow it has these new effects and so now we've definitely taken a much more sort of like how can we like what is the process for figuring out if this is an improvement that like i feel like i used to improve our production Mm -hmm. and now i sort of prototype new ideas that then we try and then we implement into production. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that was not just like, I don't know, that was just hard lessons of, okay, well today, this morning, let's change up how these things are held in our assembly area. And then it's like, oh, wow, we're scratching all of the parts. <laughs> and you're, you know, <laughs> and, and then uh, anyway, so, so that was um, great in terms of the effect 
uh, on you know reducing I don't know wasted human potential uh-huh. uh, but the bigger one no I think I guess they're both big the other thing is just it cuts fully two hours out of our total lead time and so That's huge <laughs> yeah huge and and so like now because of that reduction in latency between telling the CNC we need parts and getting those parts that are ready for paint um, ha- means that we can drop our buffers in that location substantially. Uh, like we used to have this issue where if, if we needed to paint something tomorrow, uh, we could run the CNC all day today, but if it went into the tumbler at night, it was sort of like the next morning, it still had to be rinsed, degreased, uh, dried off, yeah. then sandblasted then gas out then you can paint it uh-huh. and so it was hard when you arrive the next morning they weren't really ready yeah whereas now they could be like it's so quick to get them in the oven ready for sandblasting and the sandblasting process is like eight minutes and so it just takes out um about an hour of time when we get to the shop of parts to, to parts being ready yeah and then also if we do a full day of machining and there are parts we want tomorrow every part that comes out of the cnc instead of having to go into the tumbler two hours in the tumbler then come out it just immediately progresses to the next step of like degrease yeah. dry and it sort of flows a lot better yeah um because that was sort of a bottleneck and we had one part you know one tumbler and so one part at a time got tumbled and so like you're just like jamming this yeah it, yeah it was, it was pretty hard um so it's fantastic it's gone thank you alec yeah. for the push <laughs> um let's see the couple few things we did uh whoops can't see um so i updated our universal macro with the option for the mini tray layout okay um so we used to have a universal macro that worked on one tray then we changed the whole layout to this new tray thing that could have mini trays at each station with a bunch of small parts in Uh each one and it required some new logic and when i first did that i updated like an old early macro Uh for those parts that we'd run on it gotcha which was relatively straightforward and then i went to uh to update the universal one which had like a lot more variables and it proved to be extremely challenging, actually. Interesting. Mostly because of the mental load thing where we're not good at holding a bunch of different numbers in our heads. Yeah. And there was, like, conflicting variable usage, like, variable numbers were, like, because I'd written them at different times and I just kind uh-huh. of, like, started yep. at zero and went up. Um, I was having to, like, sort through this thing and I tried to... V- like I tried copying and pasting one into the other and that didn't work. I tried and copying and pasting one portions of the other into the one. <laughs> it was just like, my brain was just like exploding. Um, eventually I went through and just rewrote the universal one with the new logic. Gotcha. And added variables as required. Oh, cool. Um, <clears throat> so in, I guess in lean, in lean principles that's just like trying to standardize more and more and not have so many different versions and make the update process a little quicker because the the universal one does definitely work better okay um and has a lot of refinements to the pick and place 
um, routines. Mm. And then the other thing I'm doing is putting those routines directly into the program instead of having them be sub program calls. Gotcha. Because as we start to get more and more parts, it's just becomes this like crazy tracking process to make sure that you're calling all the right programs and renaming them appropriately and stuff. Um, and then I actually haven't run it yet, but I finally did the program call for the, for the actual part program with a variable. Oh, you did. Yeah. Nice. um, Someone had to do it. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's going to work yet. I'll have to run it in a couple days here when this part comes up. But, um, again, I think that's just a error proofing basically. So what we're trying to avoid is having to dig through the program to find the place where you tell it to go get the correct part program. We're just going to have a spot right at the very top that you just punch in the number of the program you want. That's awesome. And I think the way I did, it's going to work. Basically I just named, uh, named the line number to match Mm -hmm the program oh. number that you yep. want. So I am only giving an option of 10 different versions oh. right now. Gotcha. Um, and if you call that tells at a certain line to go to that line, that line calls that sub program that matches that number. Yep. And, and then, then jumps to the end. And then when it comes back, it tells it to skip all the other ones and go to the next part in the program. Huh? Very nice. Yeah. We'll see if it works. Yeah. I've I'm been sure thinking there will be a tweaks. lot about this on the, um, for our automation, I think I mentioned we've, as we increase the number of pieces we make, yeah, uh, we're starting to run into similar problems. The bigger one for me, or th- I think the big reason for me to move to more like universal uh, program that everything is running on instead of like copy and pi- like mm-hmm. right now I just duplicate it and then write <laughs> everything specific to it instead of really just having one yeah. that each part program calls Mm -hmm. and then runs its own part is all these like weird subroutines yeah and i would love to like i have this thing where when i load the vice the gripper then turns 90 degrees and nudges the part back to center i would love if that was like a toggle i could do in my like do i want to do that when i load it do i want to yeah like all these things because when i make an update right now it is really labor intensive to then go back through all of them and make the changes and make the yeah perpetual uh, you know propagate those changes across all of the parts we make and then the other issue is if you don't is there like cross compatibility issues or like if you want to make a tool change or change out the like i'm running into this where i think we need to change our gripper soon yeah um and so if i do that there's sort of this clocking that i've done yeah uh, for the rotation, whatever, to get it parallel to the vice. Um, oh, it's going to be different through every program? No, th- that is a macro variable okay. that's set at the top of each one, but I still need to go through every single program and make sure I the do it properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of just do it once in whatever tool table and call it a day. Yeah. Um, or like in one program. Yeah. So I think like this, yeah, I think it's something about like standardization, increasing the rapidity of improvements for me. Yeah. Like I can just work on one program, whereas right now I improve one part. And then if I really like that improvement, I only propagate it once I have the same issue on a different part. Yeah. 
um anyway yeah it seems like yeah there's so much room for error with the file management and so much labor yeah that it yeah anyway yeah um so if you find yourself going back and editing lots of different things that are all effectively the same (laughs) try and figure out a way to make them one yeah or get a relational database (laughs) or that (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, this is a big one. I don't know why it took me this long to to think of this. It is not an improvement I made, but it is an improvement I want someone else to make, <laughs> namely on the Fusion team. If anyone on the Fusion team is listening or someone knows someone, you know, I don't know if, well, you don't use Fusion, or maybe you are now, uh, oh, yeah. but you might get the same thing when you select the height, and it'll give you a warning of, like, uh-huh. your retract plane is above your top, your you know your top plane or whatever yeah basically when you're machining you need to tell the tool how how far down to come and there's different planes and they're meant to be in a particular order yeah two things one is color code them in a progressive way i don't know how to do that like from red to green or something so it's like they are color coded now they they? are color coded but but i don't know if it's anything i can't figure out like there's no stack up where you're like oh that one's out of place visually Uh so i think a they could be color coded in a way that was clearly yeah uh a progression b the color the the cell where you would edit the number of that height could match the color should be color coded because now you're reading it then you go read the labels in the thing and it's just like an added step instead of like the second it says because the warning says retract plane this yeah and then you're sort of reading the side ones and then what i normally do is drag one of them around and see which (laughs) which number changes and then i'm like oh it's that one it's just an annoying fiddly process that just seems very straight like if they Step one would just be like the boxes are color coded the same as the tiles on the screen. Huh. Those frames on the screen. Anyway. It's not an issue I really have in in HSM. Interesting. Maybe the defaults just work. Work. It's not frequent that I have this issue. Uh. But when I do, it just <laughs> seems needlessly fiddly. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, I questioned whether to put this in the list but I think it counts. We painted our new shop, um, which you could say is just a given, but also we could have not painted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't feel like that's a given. I've seen a lot of shops. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we kind of went back and forth on whether we should take the time to do it, but I'm really glad we did. I think it's going to make the working experience there much better. And I think it's not just better, but like we're going to be able to see more effectively um, I think it's going to be much better for any customers that visit the shop. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's going to be not just quote unquote quality of life improvements. I think there's going to be tangible benefits from having a clean and bright shop. Um, yeah. So we took a day last week and got basically everything that could be painted, painted. Very cool. Yeah. We didn't paint the break room yet because we're still deciding what color. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, I, I feel like I've I've expressed this rant on this podcast, but yeah. like quality of life improvements, you could argue two ways. One is that, uh, like you're sort of saying, I think it's a shortcut for like, I don't really feel like quantifying this, but uh-huh. it is good. Yeah. Um, the other would be like, it's worth quantifying because it gets you a deeper level of understanding. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, what do you think? So, like, there's the perception of something. What is the perception when a customer walks into a painted shop? Um, a perception of quality and yeah. professionalism. Yeah. Um, there's an expectation that if they decide to give you their money, you will get them what they want in return. Right. Whereas when you walk into a dirty, funky shop, there's a... There's a question mark there's a that question needs mark. to be, like, It'll disproven. Be like, well, a bunch of people said these these folks were good, but it's kind of dirty in here. Yeah. What's the situation? Right. And then on the side of... I, I've sort of been thinking about, like, visual clutter, for sure. Yeah. In my shop, there's, like, no resting place for the eye, mm. really. It's, like, all... Yeah. All clutter. Not clutter. Visually noisy. Yeah. Um interesting i don't know how to quantify the benefits uh -huh. is it just that you notice when things are out of place more is it that you're building a vibe that is sort of self-perpetuating where like if it's neat you kind of will bring it back to that level of neatness or like i think there's that i mean my my primary thing was just that it's going to be easier to see <laughs> that's beneficial <laughs> because there's a limited amount of light in the shop and having a giant brown wall mm. absorbed a lot of that light that makes sense. Whereas now we have a giant white wall, which nice. reflects a lot of that light. Yeah. And then a concrete wall that was same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gray, just kind of absorbed light looked, was like just busy to the eye. Yeah. Um, now white and reflects the light. That's nice. So, yeah. I, I mean, I do think, yeah, when there's a baseline of, of cleanliness and neatness, you want to sort of maintain it more than if there's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. We, as I mentioned last episode, um, improved the pin cutting process. Yeah. So this is just like blanking them to put them into the CNC. Um, yeah, spent a little while on this. Uh, we've really started using a lot of pins. Um, the previous process, I mean, we haven't fixed the, the, you know, desperate levels of overprocessing, <laughs> um, but <laughs> we have, uh, decreased <laughs> like the the ease the safety is much better because yeah. like cutting pins on a bandsaw is like not ideal not ideal we started cutting so many that like your fingers would hurt after cutting it was sort of like do you do it once or twice a day instead of like once or twice a week yeah and so that was just became a little yeah painful unbearable not a fun part of the day yeah um the and then the pins weren't like if you cut all the way through a pin that last little bit would like grab the blade oh. so you'd sort of cut and then also they'd like fall all over the place so it's actually what we used to do is <laughs> slot them till there was near like very little material connecting them and then cut a whole bar and then you'd carry that bar over and break them all off and that result <laughs> firstly it's just like annoying yeah uh and then also every single one had a sharp burr on it yeah and so these have no burrs. Um, anyway, really big improvement. Um, recognizing the fact that it's still a bad process, uh, that operation is greatly improved. And I think th we will say, like, I don't know. Sometimes you just have to make things a little better to get through. And that's what we've done. Is the, uh, sorry, I'm jumping to, to problem solving. Is the end finish good enough that if you just chamfer them, you could use them? Um, that is a question that will be answered quite soon. Uh, uh. Our spring supplier reached out about supplying us with pins oh. made from coil stock. Huh. 
um, that they'll blank out on their spring making machines, I think. So with a shear. Yeah. And then they put them in a chamfering machine. Huh. Um, my concern is not machining those the ends of the pins. So we'll see kind of how that looks. Um, they said they can tumble them. So we'll see if that looks better or worse or different. Yeah. And um, then straightness an issue or no? They're no, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, they can hit. I mean, he mentioned like, you know, they, they can make them very straight. In fact, a lot of things like a lot of bars do start off as coil and sure. then they're straightened. So, yeah. Um, and our bars are only like an inch to an inch and a quarter long. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Over that length, the straightness would have to be pretty wonky. Yeah. It remains to be seen. I'll let you know. We'll, we'll <laughs> see when they send samples. Um, we yesterday decided to alter how we set our a axis zero. Hmm. Um, so traditionally we've done it the way kind of the control is designed to do it, which is you find your zero point with an indicator. Then you just punch in that number in your work offset as the zero and the machine corrects accordingly. Right can't remember if i mentioned this on the podcast but when we started using the v3 probing macros for g54.2 rotary fixture offsets um, if that number is negative which we sometimes convert it to a negative so that we can use travel limits Uh uh-huh the macro creates weird numbers in, in that value gotcha um which made me nervous. So <laughs> in order to circumvent that, we are going to the method that Greg showed on Instagram a bunch of years ago, where you actually reset the encoder zero uh-huh. to the position that you want zero to be. Nice, which I think is better anyway. I'm not right? sure what the downside is. Um, it's... It has been frowned upon by a couple of folks, but I Mm. haven't heard a good sort of explanation of why it's actually bad. It might be actually bad only in perception because I think people don't like to reset the zeros of the machine. Uh That said, I've done that a lot of times (laughs) when I had the Z-axis issue with my servo. I I probably did it 10 times. Um, maybe more um and it came out it was very repeatable i yeah. mean they do it once at the factory and you're doing it the same way sure. so it's like yeah i don't know i do think so i i would imagine if you did something crazy that you could maybe have knock-on effects but there's no like mechanical limit on those no. on the mechanism anyway so you're essentially telling the computer like yeah. hey start here instead yeah. of start here which was equally arbitrary yeah if someone actually knows what they're talking about please yeah, please do write us um so initially that was the motivation was to be able to use those macros, but I think actually it's going to be very good moving forward because that's just one more point where someone can forget to enter a number. Um, Oh, you were doing it like every time. Um, well, anytime we would need to set a new work offset potentially or take the rotary Uh off or anything like that. Right. Um, so yeah, now it's just going to be zero and the machine can't get confused. Yeah, this harkens back to standardize, I yes. feel like. Standardize, standardize, Instead standardize. of updating 
Oh, we had this with our gripper lengths. Instead of updating your A axis and remembering to do it every time, you can go, can we make this the same and then never touch it again? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yes. That's awesome. We have the, the well, we still have the issue. I think I mentioned with our gripper finger lengths. Right. Those should absolutely be standardized. <laughs> and that said, it breaks a very important rule of always update the tool length when you load a new tool into the CNC. That's my concern. You can still update it. Yeah, I know I won't. <laughs> if it's the same every time, like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a point and call kind of a situation. Uh huh. Could just I, be a compare. Could be. What do you mean? Like, you could have it written, oh, go on, visually check or written on the side of the gripper and just compare it to the number in the right. tool table. True. Right. So there is a step. Yeah. A placeholder step. That's true. Um,. We have been playing with branding, mm. um, trying to get our packaging um, on par, getting our brand on par with our product. I think there's sort of this weird discrepancy currently. You're with like the reverse of every other U.S. <laughs> company that sells a product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're selling essentially what is typically a... It's a very common item that is pretty low quality. We have made very high quality, a very high quality version. You're selling a Ferrari <clears throat> out of like a backyard, like alley garage full of like 60 year old junk. Yeah, sort of. So <laughs> Sorry, like that was maybe a little harsh. If you received our, a package, it's like in a plastic bag with a label. My thinking was kind of like, um, A, that's not the value we're bringing to the table. And so like in terms of de-risking the general business yeah. pre uh, concept um, early on, I wasn't like, okay, the packaging is make or break. And if it is, then probably I'm not moving the needle enough in terms of delivering a better quality product. Yeah. Cause the premise was basically, we're going to make much better buckles that don't really consider. I mean, Right now, the buckle industry is like so driven by cost that I think it's gone to a, an extent that just like they don't deliver, in my opinion, on a, like they don't deliver the, the function. And so I was kind of like, okay, what if we sort of cost? Yes, we're going to try to drive costs down, but really we're going to focus on like delivering a great value. Um, and then the packaging is kind of like pretty, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a baggie <laughs> it's a plastic bag with a sticker on it um and so trying to bring that up and then also i got some business cards last minute for some event and they're so bad they're not i mean if you look at them they have the information they have the logo whatever but i, I it just really felt off brand because like the whole brand is like elevating a very basic object mm -hmm. and then i hand you a uh, a business card that's like actually kind of a crappy version of a business card yeah visually the feel of the paper all of that and so just like i don't know like tipped over something in my brain where i was like the full customer experience should i mean maybe it's in line with your white wall right it's like we should be communicating our values with every touch point kind uh -huh. of yeah and right now we're really falling short on that i would say so yeah. um yeah so working on the branding um branding is hard uh it is yeah so that's been um interesting and then you know i've been trying to do like take some of the lessons in um designing the future uh -huh. around like synchronized convergence of like the progress of the different 
aspects of the of the project and so like taking some of the early concepts and like yesterday i engraved them in the metal because that's like a really critical part of like does our branding engrave well oh yeah like do we have a version that looks good on the buckle at that scale like scale is a big issue for us Uh because we have really small products um and so i did some tests on that yesterday with the new branding with like a an early version of the new branding yeah machine engrave or laser machine engrave um and it looks yeah there's definitely some some updates to be made but yeah um so that's been interesting and i think it will be fruitful i think it's really holding us back in terms of some bigger um direct uh sorry bigger like retailers yeah i don't think we're setting our retailers up for success on that front yeah makes sense cool that's all i can remember this last week i feel like we've been doing a lot of little little tidbits here and there yeah but i keep forgetting to write them down because we're too busy same i've been actually thinking in terms of uh meta improvements i've been trying to think of a way to have like opening this spreadsheet on my phone to take a note every time i make an improvement is too disruptive Uh and so i don't know if it's like a pad that i carry around Uh. or some way of recording things that's a little because when I get really busy, it's just hard to yeah. remember in the moment. Um, I have a couple more. Uh, been updating some more tool paths. I don't know what's going on. Like our roughing mill is making crazy noises. And they're tool pads we've run for a year plus. Did you um, get some shorter I have not. Tools? But again, yeah. <laughs> we've been doing it for a year and a half. So I think you're right that we are not perhaps doing a good thing. Uh, but it was working for so long. I'm wondering if it was a bad grind or something or a different grind or I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, I've been updating some, there's a lot of updates that I've wanted to make anyway. So once I'm like updating the whole toolpath, I may as well sort of dig in and improve things. One thing that's very interesting is like, we've gone to, uh, a non roughing mill for some of the moves because it's a stubbier tool and it is way nicer sounding the chip volume out the back i would say is like 3x or 5x wow yeah it's really substantial like grinding them down into like tiny tiny shavings i think really messes up people's uh tanks uh-huh. like we were talking um about yeah anyway so like they really fill up the tank but we have that pre-filter so it doesn't really matter ah. uh they just sit on top we vacuum them off now yeah thanks to our nifty freddy yeah <laughs> yeah that thing has been great by the way um i mean it's curious even with the little parts that you're getting larger significantly larger chip volume if you look at the chips i mean yeah. the chips from the rougher are like really really small yeah and then the chips from our like if you do a quarter inch step down and you're kind of hauling ass yeah like the chips are they're chunky yeah they're quarter inch long or more uh-huh. and they have like an arc to them yeah so they don't really sit they do drain coolant way better yeah like the fines really hold on to coolant um but i don't know how to compare those um yeah so did that and then also <laughs> we had this hissing that i could not find in the shop <laughs> was that what was going on when i stopped by that day you were like freaking out yeah <laughs> i was like where is that sound and every time i'd move it sounded like it was coming from a slightly different location it was very hard to find um i finally located it it was a ruptured air hose 
like in, a soft air hose in the machine or like a no up in the like, paint yeah. area huh. uh just had a uh yeah slit in the side of it so we were just like dumping air all day oh. um which you know credit to the compressor it didn't seem to care if uh-huh. i liked it Continu- <laughs> it likes continuous running um <laughs> But yeah, so found that and replaced that. Um, it was kind of a hectic day where I was like running way behind schedule. And so it was an interesting one as I was fixing it. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, again, this whole thing is like filled with contradictions, but like the slow down to speed up thing yeah. hurt, hurts sometimes. Yes. Like I absolutely could have left it for another day when I wasn't hectic, when it wasn't hectic, but it just felt like wasteful and I don't know. Yeah. So I fixed it. Good job. Uh, thank you. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> anyway, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? Like you can always kick fixes down the line. That's the thing. And I if guess. you still get your work done and now you don't have to think about that extra thing. Yeah. I feel like it's worth it. I mean, assuming you can handle some hectic days because that part does have a real, wear and tear on an individual yeah and an individual's relationships (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) um no it is it is tough i think like again like uh very apparent costs and or the other way around depending which way you want to phrase it um hidden upside or hidden costs and very apparent upside to stopping what you're doing and making a fix. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, anyway, it's easy to put off. It's easy to keep kicking those cans down the road. And it's hard to, it's hard to see the cumulative effects, I think, on the business. Yeah. But it does over time just feel so much easier to get through the day successfully. Yeah. Without like random things cropping up. Like to your yeah, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. things start getting more and more organized and less and less like falling apart and and every step is actually six steps. And cuz like to get to this tool you need to move that one out of the way and then I don't know. Like yeah. these are vague examples, but um <laughs> Yeah, I fixed an air hose is the point. <laughs> <laughs> and now it doesn't leak. Congratulations. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Hopefully that was helpful for y'all. We're Maybe d- we're doing our best to try and kind of talk about the underlying things more than just the random details of our specific shops. But yeah, but I think we walk a, a funny line of like, if it's too vague, yeah, it's also no Makes longer no like sense. a practice edition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that with like on YouTube and stuff, sometimes people want to glaze over the specifics and you're like, I am here for the specifics. Yeah. Give them to me, please. <laughs> Why are you skipping them? So yeah. Anyway, let us know what you think. Indeed. More specifics, fewer specifics. Um, yeah. Drop us a line on our Instagram incremental CI. Um, and we will get back to you. Indeed. You or people have been emailing us too, which is That's also true. good. Yeah. Um. Actually, we, which we didn't put on. We haven't set our emails. No, for some we, reason, we I'm should sort of put hesitant to. But yeah, we ha- they're easily findable if you I want to. I set up a uh, a podcast email. So let me figure that out, and we can both. Uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right on. 
Uh, you can also additionally find me at lichen underscore MFG on Instagram and lichenprecision.com on the internet. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram and austeremfg.com on the internet. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.